Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. I want to welcome everybody who is joining us online right now. Can we just put our hands together and thank them for being a part of Activation Online? If you are watching, we want you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you are listening, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and a review. It helps us take the message further, faster. And so thank you for joining us. And I want to start by asking you a question. Maybe you're watching right now. Maybe you're listening. Or if you're in this room, this question is for you. And here's the question. What is the most significant thing you've ever accomplished in your life? What is the greatest thing that you have accomplished to this point in your life? Or we could say it like this, what are you currently working on that will become the greatest accomplishment of your life? Some of you in here, it may be like, hey, I want to graduate the top of my class. And then for other of you that are more like me, it's just like, hey, I just want to graduate. I just want to get out of here. Like that's, That was a phenomenal accomplishment for me, the fact that I got out of high school. Uh, maybe you're, you're thinking, you know, I want to excel at work. I want to be the top of my field. Or maybe you're thinking like, you know what would be a great accomplishment? I want to start my own business and I want it to be successful. Some of you in here, you may be thinking, I want to pay off my student loans and I want to live debt free. And so I, I want you to know that if, if one of those things that I mentioned is one of your accomplishments or something you're going after, or maybe you have something completely different than I mentioned now. I want you to know those are all great things. Those are all phenomenal goals that we should go after, but I don't think any of these things are the greatest thing that we can accomplish in our life. Now, don't don't get me wrong. Like I said, like we should go after everything that I mentioned, everything that you have a desire to do in your life that you would say is a great accomplishment, it would be and could be a great accomplishment. I'm just simply saying I don't think it's the greatest thing you could accomplish because I believe that you have something far greater inside of you than you could ever think or imagine. I believe there is something far more significant you can do with your life than just getting married, having kids, starting a business, paying off debt. Again, all of those things are great. And if you have done any one of those, you should celebrate big because that is a phenomenal accomplishment. I'm just saying, I think that there's something more significant you could do with your life. I believe that the most significant thing you can do is lead someone else to Jesus. I mean, think about that. Being able to be a part of their story that has an eternal destination. See, everything else that we do in this life, it's temporary. I played all kinds of sports growing up, and I had all kinds of trophies and and great moments, but those trophies aren't going with me to heaven. But you know who can go with me to heaven? You. Somebody else, an individual. I can actually be instrumental in changing someone's life with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I think that's 
the most significant thing that any of us could ever hope to accomplish. I remember when I was a little boy, I was hanging out with a friend of mine, and somehow the conversation got around to Jesus. And so we started talking about Jesus. And in the midst of that conversation, he said, you know what? He said, I want, I want to get saved. And, and so when I heard that, like I was extremely excited, like this is it. This is the first person I'm ever going to leave to Jesus. And I was excited, but at the same time I was terrified because I was thinking, I've never done this before. Like, I don't know what to do, Bob. And so I, you know, I started just like flying by the seam of my pants. I'm like, okay, where's the Bible? Get me a Bible. And so I grab a Bible and we sit down at this table. And I don't even remember the scripture that I went to. And it may have not even had anything to do with salvation. It, I mean, it could have been, you know, and, and Adam, you know, Adam knew his wife Eve and they begat Cain. And now let's pray and give your life to the Lord. I don't remember what I said, but I do know that while we were sitting at that table, Chris gave his life to Jesus. Chris, and it's actually your cousin, Chris, gave his life to Jesus that day. And that is a moment that will last forever. That is a moment that will far outlive me and far outlive anything else I can accomplish, knowing that somebody will be in heaven because of something I did, as small as it was, somebody's going to be in heaven because of what I did. I think that is the most significant thing that any of us could ever hope to accomplish. You, you know, when, when Jesus went to pick his disciples, he picked common, ordinary people just like you or I. He didn't go to the synagogues where the religious elite were hanging out. He didn't go where you would think that the king of kings would go to pick the people to follow him and to carry on his message. He found common, ordinary people like you and me. They had struggles. They made mistakes. They had problems. None of them were perfect people. But at the same time, they had dreams, just like you do. They had desires just like you. They have goals just like you. As a matter of fact, many of them were business owners, and many of them had families. But as soon as they encountered Jesus, everything that they thought was great began to pale in comparison to what Jesus had done for them. Think about that. Everything that they had planned, everything that they had desired, all the goals began to pale in comparison to what Jesus had done for them. Because he found these lost, broken, hurting people, and he loved them. He gave them a life worth living. He gave them a purpose. And then he tells them this in Matthew, the 28th chapter. I want to read this to you. He tells them this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Somebody say all nations. That means all different kinds of people. That even means the kind of people that you don't like. That means the people that don't look like you. That means the people that don't sound like you. They speak a different language than you. They've got a little bit different lifestyle and culture than you. Jesus says, that's who I want you to go and minister to. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them 
to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This opportunity was greater than anything they had encountered before. This was an invitation to do something great with their life. This was an invitation to do something that really matters. This was a mission that they were willing to lose their life for. Think about that. This is the type of thing that I am willing to die for because I believe in it so much. And what was that mission? Jesus says, hey, go do for others what I've done for you. Go find broken, hurting people just like you and welcome them into their life. Welcome them into your life. Spend time with them. Love on them. Serve them. Teach them. Just like I've done for you. See, sometimes when we think about preaching the gospel, you know, Jesus says, go into the world, preach the gospel to every living creature. Sometimes we get so intimidated by that thought because we see what I'm doing right now. And this is a form of preaching. But what I want you to see is this. Preaching for you, if you're not called to do this, is just doing for someone else what Jesus did for you. Did he forgive you? Then forgive someone else. Did he love you when you didn't deserve love? Then love someone that doesn't deserve to be loved. Did he serve you? Did he help you? Do that. That's all he's asking you to do. He's not asking you to become some worldwide powerful evangelist that stands on a stage and slings his jacket around and knocks people over. He's just saying, be you. Be who I've called you to be and do for others what I have already done for you. That's the most significant thing that you will ever accomplish in your life because it will last far beyond this moment in time. Now, I I need to warn you that although this plan sounds really good on paper, although this sermon will preach really good and get people excited, yes, let's go reach the world, doing it is completely different than just talking about it. See, it's it's one thing for me to read you these verses and talk about reaching the world. It's a completely different thing to actually go and do it. See, I can tell you, I know what it's like to be a parent. And some of you in here, you have raised kids, and you know what it's like to be a parent. But some of you in here, you've never had kids before. And so I could tell you, like, hey, let me tell you something. One day, if you decide to have kids, it's going to be messy. These kids will projectile vomit on everything. And as soon as you clean it up, guess what? They're going to do it again. And there's going to be nights that you stay up all night long cleaning up vomit off of them, off of the bed, off of yourself. And then when they hit about six months old, this explosive diarrhea comes into play. I don't know what planet this stuff comes from, but it's like this orange color that explodes on everything and they don't do it when it's a convenient time to clean it up. They wait till you got them dressed for church in their nice, beautiful dress that their grandmother handmade for them. And they wait until you put them in the car seat 
And once they're in the car seat, they say, let it rip. And they fill the car seat, and this stuff comes up their back onto the back of their head. And this little baby that you love so much is now disgusting. And see, if you've never had kids, you can hear that story and think, oh, that's not a big deal. I can handle that. But hearing me talk about how messy children can be is completely different than actually doing it. The reason I'm telling you that is because ministry can be messy. Ministry can be messy. You're going to encounter all kinds of people. If, If you do what Jesus has asked you to do, to go make disciples of all nations, you're going to encounter a lot of different kind of people. And some of them will be kind and tenderhearted, and some of them are going to be stubborn and mean. Some of them are going to be open to what you have to say, and some of them are going to reject what you have to say. And not only do you have to deal with the people you're trying to minister to, but you're going to also have to deal with people who think they are Christians coming down on you for ministering to the people you are ministering to the way that Jesus ministered to them. I want to say that again, because religious people get mad when you actually start doing what Jesus asks you to do, because they want to preach the gospel to people that look like them, that have the same financial status as them, that talk like them, that have the same color skin as them. But as soon as you start reaching out, people of all different backgrounds will start coming against you. And let me tell you this, it's messy, but it's okay because you're actually looking like Jesus. And Jesus said, you've got to be careful when everyone's talking good about you. You're not really accomplishing anything. But as soon as everybody starts talking bad about you and building YouTube channels about you and your church and talking about your family and making up all kinds of nonsense, you're on to something. See, I don't think you've really become a church until you're considered a cult. Until you're reaching so many lost people that religious people go, oh, that must be an occult. There must be some purple or blue Gatorade uh, Kool-Aid coming at some point in time. That's when you know, hey, we're on to something, baby. We're doing something that's making the devil really mad. It gets messy. It gets messy. You're going to encounter people who seem normal. And I say seem normal because I don't think any of us are really normal. I think like some of us, some of us know how to hide our weirdness more than others. But then you're going to encounter people who just let the weird flag fly. Like they are proud of their weirdness. They'll come in letting everybody know how weird they are. You don't even, they don't even have to open their mouth, and you're going to know that, that person's weird. I can tell by the way they got out of their car. <laughs> I, I remember when we first started the church, one of the first baptisms that we did, we were baptizing people, and this lady came up to me at the end of service, and she said, Pastor, I would like you to baptize my kittens. Now, I don't know what my face did at this moment. I was pretty new to this whole, like, actually pastoring my own church. You know, like, when I was at my father's church, those are the type of things I could pass on to someone else and be like, oh, that's great, you need to talk to Pastor Mike. But now, like, I'm the guy I've got to deal with. And, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, the logistics of baptizing this cat because how many of you know cats don't like water? And so I'm thinking, like, okay, so I'm going to take this animal that doesn't like water and I'm going to stick it down in the water? And you may not know this, but, like, dogs go to heaven, cats don't. And so I don't know, like, how long am I going to have to hold this thing under the water? And, like, is it going to scratch me to death? Like, what's going on here? And it was weird. It was weird, but it was okay. 
See, I did not expect this person to understand everything about the scriptures and about baptism. She just heard us teach about baptism and how we should all do it. And she thought, well, if I should do it, then maybe my cat should do it. But what I'm trying to say is like when you're out there reaching the world, you're going to encounter situations like that. And you can't get mean and you can't get offended. You've got to understand that people aren't exactly like you and they need to be trained and led to where they need to be. I was talking to a worship leader one time, Bob, and he was talking about how frustrated he was because the people at church weren't responding to worship the way he wanted them to respond. He wanted everybody on their feet, raising their hands, you know, doing all the stuff, which is biblical form of worship. It is what we should do in worship. But he was mad that they weren't doing it. And so I said to him, I said, let's, let's just imagine that next Sunday morning, your church was filled with people who have never heard about Jesus and they've never been to church before. Let's just assume that's what happens next Sunday. How would you expect them to respond in worship? The light bulb goes off. See, when people come in that are different and don't believe the way we believe and do what we do, instead of rejecting them, we've got to love them, accept them, serve them, and lead them. See, I can't get mad at you for doing something that I'm not willing to teach you or lead you into. And so if this church, like if there are people in this church that aren't doing something, instead of me pointing the finger at you, I'm thinking, okay, they're not doing that because we have not led them there. We have not taught them what worship's all about. We've not taught them about what praise is about. And I've got to be patient with you in the process while you learn because I'm assuming that you don't know Jesus yet. And the reason I am here is so that you can meet Jesus and learn about him. See, Having a church that exists for itself looks different than having a church that exists for the world. And sometimes we want to conform people to our standards instead of just creating a place where Jesus can transform their life. I want to say that again. Sometimes we want a church that conforms people to our standards, the way we like to do things, the way we like to worship. We want to conform them instead of just creating a place where everyone's accepted and gives room for Jesus to transform them. Reaching the world is messy, but it's worth it. You know, I, thankfully, everybody in this church, to my knowledge, has been extremely friendly. But you know, there are some churches that somebody comes in, they're a first time guest, they sit in a seat. And a church member will walk up to them and say, hey, that's my seat. And we think it's okay to do that because this is my church. This is where I've been attending. This is where I've been giving. That's where I've been sitting. And we never consider who is the person that was sitting in that seat. Maybe they've never heard about Jesus before. And because of what we did, they may never have the opportunity to hear about him again because they felt hurt and they feel rejected. Think about that. That's the difference between a church that exists for itself and a church that exists for the world. A church that exists for itself understands that not every program is going to be geared towards me. It's going to be geared towards reaching the lost. But here's the way I look at it. Joni, you already know Jesus. 
I already know Jesus. So why are we trying to gear things towards us? Instead, we should equip one another to go reach more people so that they can know about Jesus. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the world, and that can be messy business. I remember back in the 1900s, I was a part of a youth group that took off. It grew really quickly. The church had to build a building specifically just for the youth group. And we were reaching all kinds of kids with all kinds of problems. These weren't your Sunday school kids that grew up hearing about David and Goliath. These kids had some real issues. As a matter of fact, some of them looked like they had never seen a shower in their life. Some of these kids had nowhere to live. They had no home life. They had no parents that loved them. There was one person in particular that when they came to youth group, you could smell them before you saw them. Think about that. And these kids would get there two hours early because they had nowhere else to go. They would get there a couple of hours early and they would sit in the parking lot and they would smoke cigarettes and they would skate on their skateboards. And then they would come in, they would hear the message and every Monday night the altar was filled with kids giving their life to Jesus. It was messy and church people didn't like it. There were church people that would come and complain to my father about the stuff that we were doing and the stuff that we were allowing. And you know how he responded? He said, hey, there's a verse in the Bible that says if you've got an ox in the stall, you can expect some dung. And we're willing to put up with the dung so that we can have the ox. And I love that about him. I love that he backed us in our mission to reach the world and that he didn't back down where other churches would back down and cower to the members. He didn't because he understood that reaching the lost is messy, but it's worth it. Not only did it offend church people and they wouldn't let their kids come to the youth group, but it also upset other churches in the area and pastors would actually start teaching against us. We were in a cult. We did all this kind of stuff. We had, if you could have seen our backstage room, how many of you ever saw the backstage room that we had? You know how tiny it was. I'm talking about the one right backstage. It was like a tiny hallway. But they were saying like we had a full bar back there and girls dancing for us before. All kinds of nonsense because we were reaching the world. And they were preaching against us. They would send their youth pastors to examine our services. So they could go back and tell their youth group why they shouldn't come to our youth group and all all the time we're just doing anything we can to reach the lost and it was worth putting up with the mess of the people and the opinions of the people because we were doing the most significant thing that you can do with your life and that is leading someone to Jesus the reason I'm telling you this today is because I want us to be a church that exists for the world. I want us to be the type of church that if every chair in here is full and a guest comes in, we stand up and say, hey, come sit right here because that person matters. I want to be someone who allows someone to see Jesus instead of someone that gets in the way of him. See, did you know like the way that people encountered Jesus in the New Testament is different than the way they encounter him now? Meaning, Jesus actually physically walked on this earth. He had a flesh suit, just like you or me. 
So people could actually go physically see Jesus. They could touch Jesus. They could hang out with Jesus. They could hear from Jesus. It doesn't work that way now. The only way someone sees Jesus now is through the Jesus that's inside of you. And if you are misrepresenting Jesus, then they're getting a misrepresentation of who he is based upon what you're doing. That's heavy, man. Think about that. I wish I had, uh, I wish I had some pictures that I could put up on the screen right now of three different men. One would have short hair, dark hair, dark complected. Another one would look a lot like me, maybe a shaved head, kind of chubby, but extremely good looking. <laughs> and then maybe the third man would be a picture of a white guy with long, flowy, blondish brown hair and blue eyes. And if I said which one of them is Jesus, which one would you say? You would say the third one. But none of them on that screen are Jesus. It's a depiction of Jesus. It's, it's what we've been trained to view Jesus as. And here's the problem. It's not just a picture that we've been trained to see. It is a lifestyle and a message that we have been trained to say that is Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, that's not Jesus at all. That's not Jesus at all. The other night, I was, I was dreaming. And I walked out of this room, and there was someone that I knew that has already gone to heaven. And I was talking to them, and I expected them to be happy and joyful, you know, because heaven's such a wonderful place. But they were sobbing and crying. And I said, what's wrong? And they said to me, I am tired of people misrepresenting Jesus. See, this person has seen him face to face. Now they know exactly who he is. They know how loving he is. They know how caring he is. They know how accepting he is. And yet people who call themselves Christians don't represent him well at all. They reject instead of receive. Church, we've got to be different. We've got to be different. And people may not like us for it. And I'm okay with that. See, I've been, God has already trained me up and brought me up in a family of people who have been ostracized for preaching the gospel. So I'm comfortable with this. I mean, we've been called snake handlers. People thought my dad was in the mafia. People said that my dad kept vodka in his water bottle on Sundays. People said that my dad had a, a pistol in his pulpit, which that may or may have not been true. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I remember I got hit in the head with a softball one night. And my head swelled up. And I went to school and my teacher pulled me over to the side and she said, is your father beating you? Is your father be, I know what he's into. Is he, is, he, is he harming you? I'm like, no, lady, I got hit with a softball. But that's how people were geared because our church was reaching people that no one else was reaching. His church, when they, when they started in Atlanta, was doing things that other churches would not do. They had full bands with guitars. See, that's normal to us now. That wasn't normal back then. But he was doing it, and they called him the rock and roll church, and they had all kinds of rumors going on about him. And then all the hippies would come in with no shoes on, and they would sit on the floor Indian style and listen to my grandfather preach the gospel, and people would get mad. And my grandfather would say, Guess, listen, you pass a lot of churches on the way here. Next Sunday, find one of them because I'm here to reach the lost. I'm not here just to preach to Christians over and over again and over and over again until they get fat in their spiritual beliefs. 
I'm here to train soldiers to go out in the world and reach people for Jesus Christ. We exist for the world and everything that we do exists to reach the world. If you're in here today and you're lost and you're broken and you're hurting, we exist for you and we want you to know that Jesus loves you and he can transform you. Luke 19, there's a story about a man named Zacchaeus that I want to read to you that's powerful. The Bible says he entered Jericho, speaking about Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. I've heard about this Jesus guy. I want to see for myself what he's all about. Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, when the other people saw it, they all grumbled. And they said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. In other words, salvation is coming to you because salvation belongs to you. You belong here. You belong in my family. And then Jesus drops this bomb right here where he says, the son of man, talking about himself, came to seek and save the lost. You may not like Zacchaeus. You may think Zacchaeus is a scumbag. And you know what? In the natural, he was. He was a tax collector. Nobody liked him because they, they, they received taxes on behalf of Rome and they were able to up charge the amount of taxes so they could line their pockets. They, they were mobsters. People hated the tax collectors. And Jesus says, you may not like Zacchaeus, but he's my target audience. He's the one I came for. I didn't come for people who think they're okay. See, no one's okay, but there are people who think they're okay. They think that they can earn, you know, God's love through how righteous they are and how they act and all this nonsense. And they think they're okay. And Jesus said, I didn't come for them. I came for those who know they're lost, that they know they're hurting, they know they're broken, and they know they need a Savior. Zacchaeus is my target audience. You today are Jesus' target audience. If you're watching online, you are his target audience, and you are our target audience. We exist so that you can know there is a God who really, really loves you and can really, really change your life. Who you are today is not who you have to be tomorrow he welcomes you as you are as you are you don't have to fix nothing as you are 
with all your flaws, with however stinky you are or however clean you think your body is, he loves you. And Zacchaeus hears about this man, Jesus. He says, I'm going to go check him out. And the problem is when he gets there, the crowd was in the way. Think about this. He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd that was in the way. How many times do people get in the way of someone seeing Jesus? How many people who call themselves Christians get in the way of, other, of someone else seeing Jesus? So you know what Zacchaeus does? He, he goes and he climbs this tree, and from this tree it becomes an avenue for him to experience Jesus. And that's what discipleship is. See, sometimes we, get it, we make it complicated and we're intimidated by it. But in its simplest form, discipleship is creating an avenue so that someone can see Jesus. And it may be messy, but it's worth it. And what's awesome is we get to do it together. As a church, we get to create an avenue for someone to see Jesus. And everything that we do is geared towards that. Listen, if you clean the church, you are creating an avenue for someone to see Jesus. See, a lot of times we don't think that way, but you are. If you're on the host team and you welcome somebody with a warm smile and a, a, a wave and say, I'm so glad you're here, you are creating an avenue for someone to see Jesus. Jesus, what if they left because nobody greeted them? What if they came into the service but their heart wasn't open because they felt so unwelcomed? If you, if you work with A-kids, you are creating a space for someone to meet Jesus. Whatever it is that you do, if you do it for this church, we are all creating a space for someone to meet Jesus. You serve on the media team, you're creating a space for someone to reach Jesus. You're watching online right now and you make a donation, you are creating a space for someone to meet Jesus. Everything that we do is creating a space to meet Jesus. And it may get messy, but it's worth it. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do, and we're going to do it together. We're going to reach this city. We are going to reach this city. God has placed us here, Activation Church, to be a light to the world. He didn't call anyone else to this place. You know why? Because he knew that we were the only ones that could get it done. He knew that we were the ones that he created for this specific task in this specific place to get the job done. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying any other church because they are where they are because God wants them to be there. I'm saying we are right here, right now, in this place, at this moment, at this time, because Jesus wanted us here to go and make disciples, to do for others what he's already done for us. It's as simple as that. If you've received love, love. If you've been accepted, accept. If you've been forgiven, forgive. If you've been served, serve. Think about your life, how it's been changed by being involved in a church somewhere. And that avenue was created because someone took the time to serve and cared enough to do what they did. Can you do that? Can you do that for someone else? 
if you're watching online right now and you, you're hearing about this Jesus and you're thinking, man, I've never heard about Jesus that way. I, I didn't know that he loved me. I didn't know that he cared for me. He does. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me. Forgive me my sins. And just like that, he comes in. And the process starts to where every day that you draw closer to him, you become more like him. So, Father, right now, for everyone watching or listening, we ask that you would touch their heart, touch their life, strengthen them, and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen.